Alright, everyone. I thought this time we would take a break from our normal hangout, come around the block to the corner of self-respect and understanding. Welcome one and all to Scott Pilgrimage number four. So during this garbage week where everyone wheels out their trash bins to our usual corner at Nostalgia and Reality, we decided we didn't want to sit next to last week's discarded leftovers, and we popped our chairs out over here. So, you know what's so special about self-respect and understanding? They are the powers that Scott Pilgrim pulls out of his chest to defeat Gideon Graves, respectively in the film and the graphic novel. You know, can I just say that every single time I learned a profound life lesson, I wish that it would also manifest in a sword coming out of my chest that I may also vanquish those who oppress me. That sounds painful. I think you'd be in prison right now. Probably, but hey, we can all use a little bit of extra bus fare, am I right? Because we've already established people who die in Scott Pilgrim's world just burst into coins and apparently respawn in their bedrooms. Yeah. Now, remember, if there's no body, you can't be convicted of murder. Yeah, so Mike, you seem to have a lot of knowledge on this. And I know maybe you have some obscure roots up in the frozen north. Is this true? When somebody perishes, do they explode in Canadian currency? They do turn into loonies and toonies. On occasion, but only if they're proper Canadians. But they can't turn into Goonies because that isn't money. No, the Goonies had gems and other... Sloth. They did have Sloth, who was not a sloth. He was really quick. I figured the main factor to making somebody explode into a bunch of coins was probably going to be maybe being a dick like Scott Pilgrim. I definitely think the reason they turned into coins is because Scott Pilgrim is a dick. Because there's a lot of little factors in there. They, it kind of leads you to believe that maybe things aren't what they seem. Usually through a lot of the... All built up to that. Anyway, yes, no. This mid-afternoon's discussion for everyone over here on this the north-south hemisphere of the east-west? Ah, the west-east, south-north hemisphere. Best one out there. Absolutely going over what makes everyone's most favorite, unfavorite protagonist the salt of the earth. I mean, the scum of the earth. Ah, a character study, my favorite. I'd still want to ask this question because if you are the salt of the earth you are killing the earth so why would you change that term i don't understand how salt of the earth is a kind thing because when you pour salt on earth shit dies and for a long time well here's the thing though is he's the salt of the earth so it's like maybe a salt deposit somewhere already existing in the earth or the ocean is part of the earth so it's not the salt on the earth, it is the salt of the earth. So he's barely essential to society, we need to have dicks to continue existing? Oh man. This may be too hard of a pivot, but uh -huh. come on salt, it's like make up your mind, because salt could be a preservative. 
which can keep things fresh. But also, yeah, you hear things like, we salted their field so crops wouldn't grow. Do you want to be beneficial or do you want to screw over the planet? Oh, salt doesn't care. And neither does Scott. Scott definitely doesn't. Let's go with the clearest example that I think there's plenty of through either one of the two passive medias. And that is, he obviously has no regard for the women in his life. I mean, other than whether they are his obsession at the time or not. I would take it a step further. I feel like Scott doesn't care a lot about anything in life because it's combined. So I was digging through the graphic novel of Scott Pilgrim, and there's a section where Scott walks into the video store, and it just so happens that Kim is still working there. And he's like, oh, I need to rent some stuff because you're still working here. So clearly I can leverage my ex-girlfriend to allow me to rent at this video store where clearly on the screen, Scott has a no account video account where he's blocked because he owes $504.28. (laughs) That's blockbuster money right there. Now, I want to kick it up a notch because it's not just Scott. Kim specifically says, what are you even doing here? You know about the universal ban on your guy's account. What? Why? Um, let's see. Over $1,000 in late fees between you and Styles. Between the two of them. So Styles has around $500 late fees as well. And I want to just kick it up because the computer screen that Kim looks at for Scott's account, clearly notates returned land before time for 36 weeks later. Oh my god. He claims... Ah, it's not even one of the good ones. That's enough time for another land before time to come out. (laughs) Just wait for me to finish this whole blurb here. He claims that mice hid the video somewhere in his apartment. Also claims he rented it as a joke. Do not let him rent anything. He is scum. I don't know if an entry on your rental account at a small rental location defines who you are, but I think whoever wrote this nailed Scott as a human being on the head with that hammer. And then he proceeds to try and get Kim to let him rent five videos. On her account. Ugh. Strike one, Scott. And by strike one, I mean like three strikes all in one swing. You just, you rolled it all together. That's definitely one of the big ones. Like you were saying, his treatment of others, he does tend to, in both mediums, have this severe problem of misremembering why he broke up with any of the women in his life. And, of course, this gets explained in sort of in different ways for the film and the graphic novel. But I think with the larger amount of space that it has to deal, the graphic novel does it the best with the manifestation of Negascott, which we don't see until the last issue. Or at the very end of the film. Yes, but I think in the graphic novel, it's very explicitly pointed out as he represents... All of the repressed memory Scott has. All of the... The actual reality? All of the feelings he refuses to deal with as a rational adult, having to deal with what the reason was behind the breakups, where responsibility was for him, 
and instead just kind of bundles it all up, bundles up all of those negative emotions and packs them away, which is what manifests Negus got in the graphic novel. It makes sense. One of the takes I've always kind of felt why the reason Scott is so toxic towards his love pursuits, I think it all comes down to self-love because he doesn't appear to have any sort of respect for himself. And when you don't have respect for yourself, it's really hard for you to have respect for other people. And I think that trickled into his dating life in the most toxic fashion possible until eventually at the end, he earned the power of self-respect. And I guess freed him from that kind of debaggery chains he had wrapped around his wrists for the whole of the story. Because ultimately, the story is about Scott's journey from being a 100% tool bag to being on the road to becoming a decent human being. I would agree with that arc in both the movie and the graphic novel. You do see Scott living in a very him-centric universe throughout the movie and the graphic novel, where each girlfriend or relationship is almost like a prize to be won from the claw machine, and he's really focused until he's not, and then he moves on. Like, he seems so infatuated and happy with his relationship with Knives. My comments are focusing on the graphic novel, because that's what I touched base with most recently. He really wants to show off his girlfriend, and he tells the story of how they met on the bus. And it's just, oh, she was on the bus with her mom, and they were talking, and she spilled her books, and there I was, and helped her pick her books up. And in the graphic novel, Kim goes, that's it? That's the story? And he's like, yeah. But later on, he doesn't want to acknowledge or talk about his relationship as he is starting it off with Ramona. And they're doing like a dinner cooking event. And Kim asks again to Scott and Ramona, like, how did y'all meet? And... They both kind of brushed it off, but Scott was very reversed in his comment, and he goes, read the book sometimes. You know you're doing something wrong, Scott, by having not dumped knives and dating Ramona at the same time and hiding that fact from both of them. Why? Why are you being such a shitty human being? Then again, you're 23. I'm 23, Kim. Well, Scott's a messy character to talk about, so the conversation's able to get a little messy. So I think we should examine the relationship that helped propel him down this path, because he's been a jerk to all the ladies he's pursued. But there's one girl who kind of turned all this on the head, and that was Envy Adams. Scott got with Envy, and it seems like Scott was happy with Envy, but that Envy did Scott dirty, much like he does his exes dirty. And that sent him down this self-destructive spiral, which ended up putting him in the arms of knives until he found Ramona and then ditched her much like he's ditched before. I would agree that it exacerbated the already rude tendencies that Scott had on hand. Agreed. Because he was very rude, blunt, and blind to his breakup with Kim, which happened well before he ever interacted with Envy Adams. 
But that relationship did have an impact on him. I just don't think it explains his bad attitude towards other humans. He's definitely a Peter Venkman among his friends. Snarky to everybody. And yeah, I agree, Mike. I think just with Envy Adams, Scott got a taste of his own medicine. He didn't learn from that moment. He just jumped right back into his old habits. I think this sort of behavior also seems to spread out and affect a lot of the other relationships he has. In particular, it seems his interactions with Wallace kind of seem to take advantage of how much this friend is willing to front for him. While we do get a fair taste of it in the film, where we get that scene that also happens in the graphic novel with the pointing out all of the stuff that belongs to Wallace when you are getting shown their shared apartment. You also see that his main introduction, which I figure a lot of it is, it's obviously all built around Scott's perception of the world. And what happens the first time we ever get introduced to Wallace? He's gay. It's like not even two words in, and it's like, okay. So this is his defining characteristic then. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, Scott is very single-minded consistently and very self-focused. And it seems that his descriptions come off exactly as he's thinking about it. He's just a dick. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I need better descriptors. As someone who has now read the graphic novel in its entirety and watched the film several times, it's really interesting because the film gives you kind of the barest of pictures with how Scott is, but I tell you, the graphic novel paints a much better picture about just how much of a dick Scott can be because it gives far more examples, not just to a select few, but to everybody that he has in his life. There is a moment where Scott is woken up in Wallace's apartment by the phone ringing, and it's his parents calling. They're calling because he doesn't seem to talk to them or really acknowledge their existence, aside from the fact that they moved away. Uh, woe is me. The house that I lived in is no longer my house because my parents moved and sold it, and so I'm stuck here living in Wallace's apartment while my parents... They're in Rome. He doesn't pay any attention. He doesn't seem to know or care. And he's like, ah, how could you do this to me and call me and wake me up? It's so rude. He definitely has an aloofness to him that I would say maybe borderlines on the sociopathic. I think all of that kind of builds to the bombasticness of his adventure. It's what I was bringing up earlier. If you remember later on, near the end of the graphic novel, when he's talking to each of his exes while he's moping, basically reaching the point where he's going to decide to go and face Gideon, is in each of these conversations, it reaches a point where Scott is confronted with, how did you think our relationship went? And it was this little crayon drawing in his head of the two of them like having a great time, like the girlfriend in particular during that meetup is in some ways just worshipping Scott. He definitely has no self-awareness. He is very seldomly aware of anyone else in the universe other than himself, which can add to his cold, detached nature. And I think it does sort of reveal and build itself up to what Nega Scott was, is all of his dickish behavior and his self-centeredness. All his negative qualities. Right, his desire to ignore 
not just his own hurt feelings about the end of a relationship, but particularly ignore the feelings of the person he hurt over it. So here's a question, changing gears a little bit, but still focusing on Scott. If Scott were to be defeated in battle, how much loot do you think he would be worth? What would be the reward for defeating Scott Pilgrim? It all depends on when you defeat him throughout the movie and or graphic novel. Anytime prior to fighting Matthew Patel, he has less money than Matthew Patel is worth. But from that point forward, every time you choose to defeat Scott after he's defeated one of the seven evil exes, he's then at minimum valued at the collective exes that he's defeated coin-wise. Which is barely bus fare. So you're saying he, is, he just accumulates. You know, and at the same time, he didn't necessarily gather all the money from a lot of the others, like... Lucas Lee must have been the most expensive, aside from Gideon. Right. I think Lucas exploded in a lot of money. The most expensive defeat that Scott would have gained money from. But Lucas Lee was so far away that... Every single one of those loonies and toonies he missed out on. Scott's not going to go down all those stairs. You know how hard he tried to convince Lucas Lee to go down those stairs? You would need to at least double that effort to convince Scott to go down them, even walking. That kind of goes back to the theory I was pushing forward, and that's that maybe along with the way he colored his previous relationships and the way he beat up Kim's boyfriend in that manner. So why am I supposed to believe that the fight with the League of Evil Exes was actually a league or actually had bombastic fights like that? I'm saying he just beat up a bunch of normies and all of that money was imagined. There's like a bloodied corpse on the floor or a bloodied passed out person. But this is the way he's justified it to himself. Ah, interesting. Are you hypothesizing that like, all the grand fights that happened in the graphic novel and the movie were just a manifestation of Scott's insecurities towards conquering and being more desirable than another man, so he quantified it in the only way he knew how, which was uh, fighting games. You know, that's an excellent way of putting it, but the direction I was heading into it is, like all of the other things he repressed, he's repressing and excusing his horrible actions through that method. Well, because I don't know if a loony is one Canadian dollar or if the toonie is one Canadian dollar, because they're like, it's the $1 bill and the $2 bill, but I don't know which is which. But I'm going to assume this was about four Canadian dollars. Now, this is funny, because this is going back to when we first started this conversation at the beginning of the episode. When you said loony and a toonie, I thought you were just being cute because you were, like, making a play off of Looney Tunes, the cartoon. They are colloquial terms for the dollar bills, if I'm understanding my words correctly. Much like people will call a British one-pound note a quid, which is a colloquial term for a one-pound note. That is bonkers. Kind of like calling a dollar bill a buck or a simoleon. Right, right. Dinero. Greenback. Cheddar. Cheddar. Cheddar's one of my favorites. 
Alright, so this has been the economics portion of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Please don't take advice from us, you will lose money. You will lose money. Aside from not investing in crypto, but, you know, that's a you decision, not a me decision. You know what I think? And keeping up with the theme of Scott's personality, that he is just a letdown of a human being most of the time. I think the reward for defeating Scott Pilgrim is going to be just a simple piece of paper and then whoever defeats him is going to pick it up. The paper just says, The Journey. <laughs> I get mad and throw it on the ground. The reward was The Journey. Oh, I was going to say, Your Self-Worth. That's what the note says. You <laughs> defeated Scott, so you earned your self-worth. Yeah. Because most likely, Scott was defeated by one of his ex-girlfriends. <laughs> or boyfriends. I don't know. <laughs> what a garbage reward. I still think that there's some vagueness between him and Wallace and their relationship. Stick it in your inventory and sell it at the nearest vendor. Every fandom is entitled to ship people. Yeah, and that's just my theory. I'm okay that others might have different theories. I just think that there is definitely a relationship between Scott and Wallace. Speaking of ships... Have we ever discussed on the Scott Pilgrimage which ship of ours was our favorite between Scott and one of his love interests? I think Mike already put it out there. In this episode or in another one? Literally the relationship between Scott and Wallace. Okay. Like almost every Scott Pilgrimage since the second one. It kind of sounded familiar whenever I was talking about it. There is a cruise liner of their relationship that they're riding on. They just don't want to admit it. Or Wallace admitted it and has moved on and Scott's still secretly obsessed and hurt that Wallace isn't as into him as he wishes Wallace was. Oh man, I remember this conversation now. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> I remember this this goes back to I think the first episode we ever did no it was well wait it might have been I think it was hey listeners go ahead and scroll back and let us yeah, know yeah let us know I'll, I'll probably forget by the next Scott Pilgrimage to bring up how long it's been <laughs> with every upswing comes a downswing and I feel like we've explored this much as far as any of us are willing to take without beating a dead horse. So let's flip it on its head. Yes, we've all agreed. Scott is a piece of shit. He learns? But then why do we like this adventure? Why do we like his story? Why do we still prep before every time that we do another one of these Scott pilgrimages and still decide to, of our own free will, I imagine, I assume that Aaron doesn't show up to Mike's house and hold a super soaker up to his head no he doesn't it's a nerf gun we all watch this movie and flip through the pages of the graphic novel year after year part of it has got to be for scott why do you look at it what makes scott not unbearable every page that you read <laughs> oh um sorry he's unbearable until Page 326 in the second of the three graphic novel sets that I have on hand. I don't know how that translates to the individual comics that were released by Brandon Lee O'Malley, because I have the bundled version, so it's not quite the same. But 
I pulled this up because I feel like the turning moment was specifically a dream of his, but it was spurred on by his visit to Lisa's sister's apartment to visit Lisa, where he learns about the relationship that the two of them had earlier on in their life. Which drives this dream where Scott is looking like Link from Legend of Zelda. And the overworld talking says, do you remember the code, Scott? No, I don't know anything. You knew it once. But I, but you're everything I ever wanted, aren't you? Isn't that up to you, Scott? I think that, that phrase, he has been creating this idolized concept which he keeps chasing after. And once he gets that thing, he then becomes bored because he's achieved the goal and tosses it aside. And his brain is asking him, aren't you the one that decides if this is everything you really wanted? Because clearly he's been jumping from relationship to relationship, never feeling satisfied, and tossing people away like old socks. And this is that moment that jolts him back into being an adult, rationalizing and thinking through the situations that he exists in, and the people he interacts with, and gives him that ability to have that earning of the sword of self-respect. That is another really interesting moment. And I think that does sort of paint together what I think the general tone of it is. And that's that even through all of the problems that we see become clearer and clearer as the plot enters, we'll call it the belly of the whale, which is at the point where he loses Ramona in, in either one of the two media. Ah, oh, Pinocchio! Stop being in the belly of the whale. So this is the point where our hero gets to despair, gets to feel like all hope is lost. And for Scott, I think it definitely manifests itself as a moment where he lets all of his darker impulses take place. And we get to see how he deals with each of his breakups, how he deals with not just how his relationship ended with Knives and how it's ending with Ramona, at least up to that point. But also, we learn how that mirrors how his relationship felt to him with Kim and with Envy. Scott is sort of a clown to me. He amuses me. He does things. He does fights. We get to hear his past stories and how overblown and fantastical they are. And then when he's at his darkest point, we realize that all of this was just a defense mechanism. It was him running through justifying his actions and trying to cope with his attempts to basically navigate his life. I would definitely agree. I think one of the things that makes me enjoy watching the movie and reading the graphic novel is the growth of a male cisgendered human and learning how to be a good human being. Because as a cis male, I have had that growth trajectory. I was once a selfish human being. And I feel like most of us are in our early years. 
in your teens, there's no way to avoid that. But it's something that we can resonate with a little bit because we've all been there. And watching that growth and that acknowledgement, recognition, development, mental processing that needs to occur for you to using Scott's mental images of his dreams tied to video games because he loves them. It's the way to level up. It's the way to become better. It's to start recognizing that your interactions have consequences. And if you don't process those interactions and try to reflect on them, gain perspective and learn from them, you will never become a better person. At the end of the movie and at the end of the graphic novel, Scott is that better person. I really enjoyed in the movie that Scott goes off to fight Nega Scott and you don't see any of the fight, but you come back and he's like, oh yeah, we got dim sum set up for next Sunday. We're besties. Because he processed and internalized the situations that were the creation of Nega Scott. All of those things that he had oppressed hidden and lied to himself about came out and he accepted them and he became a better human because of it. It definitely seemed to be kind of a physical manifestation of him coming to terms with himself and realizing that growth is not only required, but it's essential. And the first person he needed to reconcile with was himself. For sure. So he is able to reconcile with everyone else because a lot of times forgiveness starts with you forgiving yourself for the slight or the misdeed that you have done and i feel like that is what scott accomplished when he originally was going to duel nega scott but then yeah they became best friends and had plans for dim sum and brunch totally agree manny to answer your question on my part you're asking what keeps me coming back to this story scott is obviously a very broken human being he is a flawed person and it is so wonderful to see that even as flawed as a human being could be, there is still grace and there is still the opportunity to find love, even for someone who, for the most part, doesn't seem to be deserving of it. And I think it shows that hallmark of humanity to move past differences and forgive people for their shortcomings. That and just the characters, man, the characters are so much fun. And in the graphic novel, too, having it being recent in my brain. While I enjoy the film, I think the graphic novel showcases much better the kind of interpersonal connections between each of the characters and their burdens and their flaws. I mean, look at Stephen Stills. He went from being in love with Julie Stiles, I think is her name, obsessing over her to realizing that, in fact, he is actually gay and started seeing... Other Scott? Was it other Scott? It was a bearded guy. I know that. I think that's what keeps me coming back. It's a fun story about growth, about adversity, and ultimately about conquering yourself and I guess your environment to a degree. Environment really being more people who are standing in your way. So here's my overall takeaway with it. And it kind of incorporates a few of the things that the two of you are saying. We get introduced to this very flawed, younger individual. I think the reason it landed so well for me was probably because 
it was one of those things like I was within a stone's throw of the correct age range and in a similar time in life of attempting to figure out who I was fixing to be as an adult. And I kind of feel like it's almost a generational hallmark as we realize that we weren't immediately adults upon becoming of adult age. What? You weren't totally emotionally and mentally developed when you turned 18 and became a legal adult inside the United States of America? For shame, Manny. Yes. Well, no, legally, 18 is the cutoff point. Mike, I was implying that I found it when I was 17. Once you turn 18, you are legally an adult and can be tried in the court system as an adult. Don't! So, are you Homer Simpson? When I was 17. I won't continue singing that because that involves underage drinking and I do not approve of that because it is legally... It's legally against the law. It's legally not allowed. We here at Banter Banter will not support or tolerate that level of tomfoolery from you youngins. We here at Banter Banter will never verbally agree to anything that is a breach of state, local, or national law. We here at Banter Banter will never go retrieve candy from the van that has free candy written on the side of it. What? No, yes, please, free candy, yes and thank you. Sir, I am way too old to be abducted, and you are not going to get anywhere by abducting me. <laughs> All right, Maddie, won't you take us home, bud? Can I even finish my answer? Yo, my God, I'm so sorry. I thought you had. Wow, I don't even know. Holy fuck, guys, for real. I don't even know where the tangents to Listen. I'm not the one that tried to drive you home, Manny. I was going to let you finish. Listen, the tangent dragon is eating its own tail. I don't even know where the tangent started. I'm so sorry, Manny. Please continue. Or start over, whatever you feel like you have to do. You will not hear another peep from me until you release the Florida to somebody else. The Florida to someone else. Nobody wants the Florida. Don't be on fire. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another Scott Pilgrimage. Per usual, whether you loved us or hate us, go ahead and rate us. Be sure to like and subscribe if your platform allows it. Don't forget, if you're going out, wear a mask if it's a high-risk area. Don't touch your face, wash your hands, and get those shots and boosters if they're available. Be sure to follow us on social media. On Facebook at banter underscore cast or on Twitter at banter banter cast at brogar C-R-E for Manny at 8-bit wizard the 8 is Roman numerical for Aaron or at Mike 8 time the number 8 for Mike Email us at banter banter cast at gmail.com The Scott Pilgrimage Art is brought to us by Pepper Troopa on Twitter. The opening and closing theme is the chiptune rendition 
of My Threshold. From Universal Pictures, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the movie soundtrack.